The bulletin has an error in it. Actually, it has a couple, but uh, one is the title of the message today. Uh, in the bulletin, it says, uh, the, the worldview of God, truth, and faith, right? And it should say, uh, the biblical worldview, domains of reality. So, uh, I'm going to talk about truth and faith down the road, but as, uh, as we've been packing the move, uh, I've packed some things I shouldn't have packed, and now I don't know where they are, and I'm, I'm having to do some adjustment both at the university and here in terms of uh, some books and some uh, content that, <laughs> that I've uh, had prepared and set aside, and somehow I set it aside and stuck it somewhere, and who knows where it is. I'll probably get in, a, in a, about three weeks. Our series on the biblical worldview and mindset uh, has been uh, based on the idea that the worldview is a concept that refers to how God sees the world and how mankind sees the world, and that the mindset is our individual commitment to intentional living, um, uh, in, in this case in the sense of uh, how God would have us live. Uh, I've talked about the historical worldviews, the ancient ones, the Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian, which were very distinct. And one of those distinctions I've talked about several times, I'm going to reinforce it today. The second, then what happened in the pre-modern world is the two worldviews got put together. And in putting those together, you get a blurring of the truth. You don't get a removal of the truth, but it begins to have its emphasis on the wrong syllable, you know, and that creates, that creates some problems. Then we had the secular uh, humanistic perspective that came out as modernity developed, and this notion of science and reason uh, really had a secular thrust that said, we don't need God, we don't need revelation, we don't need religion, uh, and we can figure this stuff out for ourselves, and we can discover it ourselves. And the church got stuck with that. What do we do with that? And the church split into two worldviews. A conservative worldview that said, we'll take the Bible and as much of science as we can take that won't conflict. And a liberal one that said, we'll take science and we'll keep as much of the Bible as we think we can. And that's really the difference between the conservative and liberal churches of the modern era. And then, of course, secularism... uh, was there as well. So we we really have three modern worldviews. We're moving now into what's called postmodern and post-Christian reality, and that is uh, not that is competing with the modern worldview to some extent, trying to replace it. But the modern worldviews are still here. What's happening is that uh, the postmodern worldviews that's based on feelings and kind of subjective. Whatever I think is true is true, uh, because there really is no actual truth. There's only perspective. Uh, that's, there's, that can be either religious or not religious. Um, and those five, the secular, liberal, uh, religious, and conservative religious, and then the religious postmodern and the non-religious postmodern, are what's going on out there today. And the discussions are fantastic. If you listen... If you, if you uh, pay attention to the talking shows or radio, talk radio, or Facebook discussion groups, you'll see all of these worldviews colliding. 
It's the war of the worldviews, uh, in some sense. Um, and I suggested that the biblical worldview uh, had been lost in the Garden of Eden, was reestablished uh, with Abraham, with uh, the uh, scriptures, with Judaism, and with the Promised Land. And uh, that we need to, if we're going to really understand the Bible, we're going to have to, the biblical worldview is going to require that we are familiar with the context and the focus of the Bible. And that is that there is a people of God and that's the children of Israel. Whether they are in the land or out of the land, they are still the focus of those biblical texts. The language of God, and I suggested that's Hebrew, and where it is Greek, it's Greek from a Hebrew perspective. Uh, and it's very easy to take the Gospels and uh, translate them back into Hebrew, uh, which indicates that the people who were writing that Greek were thinking in a more Hebraic mindset, not in a classical Greek one. Uh, then I said the culture and religion of Judaism those traditions and cultural content of Judaism are really important for understanding our faith. You guys know that well. Uh, the Passover Seder, to, to understand the communion service without knowing the Passover Seder is just a shadow of itself. Uh, but once you have that, even if you're only doing the more traditional Christian version, all of that background and that context uh, echoes in, in its uh, expression. So that's what I'm talking about. So I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 29. And we're going to pick this up at uh, verse 29 of Deuteronomy 29. might be easier to go to Deuteronomy 30 and go back a verse. Because it's the last verse of, verse of chapter 29. And it's a passage that you've probably heard. I want to read uh, into chapter 30. But I want to pick it up with this verse 29. Uh, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So it shall be that all of these things shall come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Notice here, that Moses is already telling them, you're not going to stay in the land. And you're not going to stay obedient to the commandments. You're going to have both blessings. You're going to have the curses. You're going to have all of that. And then you're going to be dispersed among the nations. When you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And if the outcasts are at the end of the earth, read California, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into a land which your fathers possessed, and you will possess it. And He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And He will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all the curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe His commandments which I command you today. 
Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hands, in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your cattle, the produce of the ground. And the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. This commandment I give you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. Boy, that's the belief. Can't do this. No, we won't do this. Israel wouldn't do this. Um, It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that we should say who will cross the sea uh, for us to get it uh, for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. Now I want you to think about that passage because our tendency is to say, well this is Old Testament. It's way back in. All of that's been replaced now in Christianity. Okay? Well, let's see how replaced it really is. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Paul is talking about the salvation of Israel in this chapter. I know it includes us, but he's talking about the salvation of Israel. Brethren, my heart's desire, verse 1 of chapter 10, and my prayer to God for them, he's talking about Israel, children of Israel, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For the Messiah is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. He talks about the blessings and the curses that will come based on that. Not on the salvation that will come from that, but the blessing and the curses that will come from obedience to the commandments for Israel. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? He's quoting Deuteronomy 30. So in the Torah is the righteousness of faith and the righteousness of works. Righteousness of works will bring blessing and curse. The righteousness of faith brings salvation. And Paul says they're missing that. They don't see that it's the righteousness of faith. They're trying to then establish themselves by works before God. Israel has done that. The church has done that. He says, that is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ from the sea. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. He's quoting Deuteronomy 30. It hasn't passed away. It's as valid as ever. And he's given us an understanding of it. That is the word of faith which we are preaching That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation has always been by faith. It's always been by grace. That's the Torah's message. 
If you start separating from the biblical worldview and what the Bible is, is addressing, then you're going to miss the meaning and add your own meaning to it. So, we have to see it through the eyes of the children of Israel. We have to see it in its Hebrew context and in its uh, Koine Greek with the Hebrew mindset. We have to understand it within the context of Judaism and that framework. And we have to understand it within the land. He's talking about bringing them back into the land. Those things have not passed away. And to read the Bible without that understanding or to make that a past understanding is to misunderstand what the scripture is saying. So, how do we get to the content of the biblical worldview? In a phrase, the entire Bible is the biblical worldview. I have to get that into my head, and I have to get it into my head in the context so it's interpreted correctly. But the starting place really is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What this is saying is not that let us prove God to you, but it begins with the idea that before the heavens and the earth were created, before this creation was brought into existence, God and spiritual reality existed. And therefore, we must have in our worldview that perspective of spiritual reality. So what what is that spiritual reality, and how do we talk about it? Well, I'm going to talk about three domains of reality today. Dr. Lewis and I wrote a book uh, addressing this as we tried to integrate theology and behavioral sciences. But it's really important that our children and our grandchildren grow up with a mindset that sees the world this way, sees reality this way. First of all, spiritual reality is that which is spirit and that which is truth. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, those who worship God, she said, do we worship here or in Jerusalem? Our people say at this mountain and your people say in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus said, the time is coming when they won't worship in either place. In other words, this creation is a temporal uh, 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 changing uh, process and that which is eternal and that which is, is, is of God is spirit and truth. Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. Uh, and so that which we would say is of the heavenly realm or of the spiritual realm is spirit and truth. It is eternal. It does not change. From everlasting to everlasting, behold, thou art God. Um, and it is unchanging because God himself has no shadow of variableness. So there is something that is spirit, truth, eternal, unchanging, and is the habitation of God, the angels, the heavenly throne, and the, the heavenly temple. So I want to give you some passages just so that you can uh, contemplate that when you're, when you're doing your own study. We'll begin with Exodus chapter 25. It's a passage you're familiar with. I'm just going to allude to these. Uh, in uh, Exodus, after they have been brought out of Egypt, 
They are in the wilderness. And the Lord says to Moses, chapter 25, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. Um, This is the contribution which you are to raise from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, setting stones, for the ephod and the breastplate. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furniture, so you shall construct it. So God says, I want you to have the people, whoever is prompted by their heart to offer. Now, you've heard, I've heard this all my life, God will prompt your heart to give. No. God doesn't prompt your heart to give. Your heart prompts you to give or not to give. It's not about God doing that. Oh, I'm giving because God prompted. You to say God's worthy, I'm going to do this. You're making that, that contribution. We really get these things wrong when we don't see it in that biblical context. So, the idea is that God said, take an offering of these things and you will build me. Now, what we're going to find out, if you keep reading, we won't do that today. They gave so much in response to God and this sanctuary that they finally had to say, stop giving. Because their hearts were, were prompting them. They were responding to what God had done. And that's what it was. It wasn't God prompting their heart. It was their heart responding to the God who had delivered them uh, in, in, uh, from Egypt. Hebrews chapter 9. And this is important as we're coming up on Yom Kippur and we start thinking about the service at the sanctuary. In Hebrews chapter 9, the scripture says, Now, uh, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and an earthly sanctuary. There was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand, the table, and the sacred bread. Uh, These are called the holy place. Behind the second veil was the tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense, uh, and the Ark of the Covenant covered... With gold inside it was the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the, the covenant. Now, when we talk about that, when we read this, most of you, because you sit in here week after week, you, you see the lampstand and the table. You, you see the uh, prayer altar and the, and the ark. And while it's not the exact thing, it's a representation of those things that allows you to kind of get the mindset and the worldview of what's going on. And what he says is, uh, if we go down to uh, verse uh, 23 and uh, following, it, therefore it was necessary for the copies of these things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, what he's talking about is that everything that happened on this earthly tabernacle and the earthly temple was based on a pattern 
of the temple that is actually going on in heaven. A temple that Isaiah saw, a temple that John would see. That is where the action is. That is where God is. That's where the angels are. That's where when we come in and we start worshiping, we are joining a service already in progress. And we are, if you will, giving an echo of what's going on in heaven. Let me uh, give you an example of that. Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice uh, which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. There's, there's like a call to him that's kind of like the sound of a shofar or a trumpet. See the, see the pattern? Immediately I was in the Spirit. Spirit and truth, right? Um, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald of appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments, golden crowns on their heads. Out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We have the seven eternal lights here. Uh, before the throne, something like a sea of glass, like crystal, the laver that is in front of the throne. A large laver, like a sea of glass that he talks about. And around the throne were four living creatures. Uh, and he describes those cherubim that are there. And they cry day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. Because of You they exist and are created. Blessed are You, O Lord our God, Creator of heaven and earth. You hear the echo? The echo of it's what's going on in heaven is approximated on earth. Now, if you have a biblical worldview, you will try to conform your worship and your prayer to the pattern of heaven. If you have an earthly, worldly worldview, you will pattern your worship to the music and the style of entertainment of the world. Think about the church. We don't worship God the way that we want to worship God. We worship God the way He says to worship Him according to the pattern in heaven. We're going to spend an eternity worshiping in that pattern. We ought to start learning to do it now. So focusing on the spiritual instead of the material and cognitive world as the priority is part of the biblical worldview. Now, what about material reality? Material reality is an important part of 
of uh, where we live, right? We're partly material reality. God took the ground after he created it, breathed into it the breath of life, and we became living souls. And as living souls, we have a, a spiritual part of us, but we also have a physical part of us that's part of this creation. And, and we are meant to be that, in some sense, for all eternity, uh, with the sin issue taken care of. So what about material reality? Well, material reality, as you know, is matter and energy. It is relatively uniform. That is, it tends to operate pretty much the same. The law of gravity operates the same in Australia as it does here, right? Uh, the, the, the physical properties of this creation are such that they are reasonably predictable and we're able to manipulate them and build things and create things and do things uh, that, that science has uh, given us understanding of. It's relatively stable, but it does show signs of uh, disruption and ultimate uh, passing away. In other words, it's temporal and it is also... Uh, cursed, uh, awaiting a redemption, if you will. So, there is an, a need to understand that this is not evil. The Greco-Roman world said the world is evil and heaven is good and so we can't wait to get rid of our bodies and get rid of this world and, and go to heaven. That's not the biblical worldview. When God created, and you read Genesis, God created the world, he said it was good. He said it was very good. Okay? But what God created is good. It became problematic. But it was good and its restoration is part of what God is doing. So, uh, let me give you just a couple verses on that. Hebrews uh, 11.3. And again, we could, we could go over and over and over with verse after verse after verse. I just want to give you a taste of that. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now the worldview of the world is, this world came from a big bang, or it came from an oscillation of a steady state model, or something of the sort. We have to use a material explanation for the material results. But the Bible says that's not it. By faith, we understand that God spoke the world into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. Let the earth bring forth plants, and there were plants. The only distinction there is the creation of us, where it gives more than just speaking, but God actually breathing into us the breath of life. But the world was created by the Word of God. It is sustained by the Word of God. If God could pass away, not possible, but if He passed away, this creation would die. It does not live on its own. He sustains it and keeps it by the power of His might, the Scripture said. We have to see that as this is part of what God's doing, He's doing it from His perspective in heaven, and He is working out His purpose in this created world. Now, this created world has patterns 
but it doesn't give us full understanding. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Had a little trouble finding it. <laughs> there is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven. I want to sing turn, turn, turn. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, time to build up, time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, time to throw stones, time to gather stones, time to embrace a time to shun embracing, a time to search, time to give up as loss, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Now what's going on? What's going on is God is saying, you cannot look at the creation and know what I'm doing. I have set eternity in your heart. And I have given my revelation of my scriptures. So that you can use them to understand what I'm going to do in the, in the earth. Now, when we first started this series. I told you that one of the primary differences. Between the Greco-Roman worldview. And currently the American worldview. And the... Judeo-Christian worldview is how you perceive God's doing things. So, the Greco-Roman worldview was that you look at the circumstances. You look at the creation. You look at your feelings. You look, because you're part of the creation. You look in yourself and you look in the world and you interpret those things to know what God is telling you. Is he happy with you? Is he unhappy with you? What is God trying to tell me is constantly said by Christians and it should not come out of our mouth. Because what they're saying is, I'm trying to figure out from the circumstances and what's going on, what God wants me to do. So I can do what God wants me to do because I'm doing, I'm cooperating with what God's doing. And that's false. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We use the Scriptures to interpret the world and what God is doing. God has revealed it to us and we have to know it and use this to figure it out. Instead, we use those things to interpret the Bible. I had this experience. It looks like an experience somebody had in the Bible. So their experience matches mine. Wrong. 
I look at these things to know what to do in the world that I'm in. Because while eternity is in my heart, in my, in my inner being, it is not uh, revealed through the creation what God is doing. It's revealed through His Word what He's doing. This is a major issue. And if we do not raise our children to see that the Word of God alone determines how we see reality and how we act in reality, then they will assimilate very rapidly into this world. And this world is turning into chaos. And it's reaching a point where uh, we will be marginalized and our children will be marginalized. We have got to get this biblical world view back into our head. We cannot uh, do this easy. It's really difficult to think this way. I work at it all the time. When I pray, I, I meditate on the biblical text of what is going on in that throne room and what is there so that I am focused on where I'm praying. I'm not just closing my eyes and focusing on other things. I will also focus on the symbols of that on earth from churches and from synagogues because I'm wanting my mind to be on the patterns of things in heaven and not just on like God's in a dark abyss way, way, way far away and, and, I, and there's no connection. Most people, if they close their eyes and look at the imagery at the front of their sanctuary, they will see a set of drums. They will not see emblems of biblical truth so that they worship in spirit and truth. It really is a problem. And our children need these things. The world is giving them every kind of emblem, every kind of symbol, every kind of... They are being bombarded to be conformed to the world. And we are doing very little, if any, to conform them to heaven and the worldview uh, from that perspective. So, and you know as well as I do that when you try to do this, it's very easy to drop back into the typical world thing because as soon as you open your eyes, where are you? You're in the world. And if you're not careful, you'll be in the world and of it instead of in the world but not of it. Uh, and that's Romans 12. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to get those biblical images, the biblical text, the biblical understandings in our in our mind so that we can navigate through this life uh, in this material reality and in the cognitive reality that we're up against. So let me do the cognitive reality and then I'll be done. Material reality is pretty easy to figure. It's right here. It's matter and energy. It's best understood by science but not completely understood by science because God hasn't revealed uh, His stuff in there. We have to look in the Scriptures to see that God created it. We have to look in the Scriptures to see that He sustains it. We're not going to figure that out by doing a, 
uh, autopsy on the on the on Mother Earth. Okay, not going to happen. But we can learn some significant things uh, through through science in that way. The cognitive reality is much more difficult. Cognitive reality is the reality of perception and the reality of what is called phenomenology. Uh, sometimes people say appearance is reality, right? Optics is reality. You hear this all the time. What they're, what they're saying is we don't act on what's there, we act on what we think is there. We don't act on what's actually there, we act on what we perceive. That reality originally in Adam and Eve was united. What they saw in the Garden of Eden that was physical was consistent with what God had spoken. Who they were and speaking to God and each other was consistent with what God had spoken. And God was always God and therefore he was consistent with what he had spoken. So the worldview was fine. The material, the cognitive, and the, and the spiritual all lined up perfectly. But with sin, God cursed the earth. In part, so that we wouldn't look for him in that context. And then, God shifted the cognitive part. Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make ourselves a name, a reputation. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And he said, Behold, the people are one, and they all have the same language, and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Doesn't this sound a lot like the Adam and Eve story? The people now know good and evil lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever, let us remove them, right? So now let us scatter them. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so they will not understand one another's speech. And the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered abroad over the face of the earth. God created multiple cultures, multiple languages, multiple peoples, and multiple worldviews. From there, he would call Abraham and reintroduce his worldview. Every worldview, including the American one, is not the biblical worldview. And we have got to keep that in mind. The cognitive stuff is really difficult because it creates uh, a reinforcement 
we think in the English language, we function in this culture. When we're pulled out of this culture and we go somewhere else, we're desperate to get back in it so that uh, we feel comfortable to, to see ourselves as aliens and pilgrims in this culture is difficult. Now, it may not be as difficult in the future as it's been. Because once we start being rejected by this culture, there, you know, uh, Jews suffered more in many countries for, by persecution than the threat of assimilation. The cultures wouldn't let them assimilate. And when they no longer want you there, you can't bring that in with you. You have to get rid of it completely. You reinforce that you are who you are. We'll talk about identity in the biblical worldview uh, down the road. So, I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul in reference to wisdom of the world, thinking like the world, and the wisdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, it's not 2 Corinthians, it's 1 Corinthians. I do that all the time. When it's chapter 2, I say 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. The testimony of God are the Scriptures. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My message, my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The church is filled with apologists who are trying to use reason and the wisdom of men to convince people of the truthfulness of the Scriptures. And then they pat themselves on the back when they won the debate, but they only won the debate with the people that agreed with them. We have, we have somehow bought into this idea of worldly wisdom as the basis of explaining truth. Truth is lived so that it's manifest by obedience. He says, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. A wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Had they understood uh, Isaiah 53? Had they understood uh, Micah? Had they understood any of those? They wouldn't have crucified him. But as it is written, things which our eyes have not seen, our ear has not heard, which has not entered into the heart of man, all those things God has prepared for those who love him. Well, where do we get it if it's not coming from us? It's coming from God. It's got to come from the Scriptures. For to us God revealed them through His Spirit. How did He do it in the Spirit? The Spirit inspired the biblical text. This is not 
getting a word from God in your closet at home. This is the Spirit of God inspiring the Scriptures so that we seek them. Peter says, holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So they didn't write their own opinions of things. We have a sure word of testimony that we need to read. We need to pay attention to. We need to do. And then he says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him? The only person who knows your thoughts are you. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Why does the church, uh, why do the people of God have the Spirit of God? The Spirit that inspired these scriptures resides in us to illuminate those scriptures as we obey them and study them, so that we come to an understanding of them. And that's why knowing those who have gone before us and what they've discovered is important. Tradition is not uh, to be rejected. It's to be tested. He says, These are the things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but by those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, you don't do it through logic. You're not going to win people over with a logical argument. Unless the Spirit of God illuminates them, they're not going to respond. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Spirit draws him. But the one who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. The person who really gets the biblical worldview and he's out there looking at the biblical at the creation with the biblical worldview. He knows exactly what's going on. But nobody figures him out. The more you have a biblical worldview, the less you're likely to be understood. Just a little weird, you know, that guy. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? God's doing his own thing, and he's only taking his own counsel. But Paul says, we've been given the mind of the Messiah. In the biblical revelation, the mind of the Messiah has been given to us. And I'm going to show you what Paul's talking about at another time, when we look at the, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mindset that we are supposed to have with the biblical, biblical worldview. Now, This focus on the spiritual is overriding everything. That the material and the cognitive being damaged and therefore not to be trusted for trying to understand what God is doing is a very important part of a biblical worldview. It's found throughout the scriptures and you can see these domains in several places. I just want to give them to you quickly. We are body in some sense. There's a spirit in us. And we have a mind, right? Our mind is aware both of the spiritual and of the material. All three of those domains are there. Our temptation. We are tempted in our flesh by our lusts. We are tempted by the world in its trying to conform us. And we are tempted in the spiritual realm by Satan who tries to blur things and make them look godly when they're not. And when we become believers, our spirit is born again. 
But our mind has to be transformed. But our body awaits resurrection. The material reality, cognitive reality, spiritual reality is an important part of discerning the biblical mindset. Uh, and it's once you begin to think in those patterns, uh, other biblical texts will also unfold for you so that you can understand them. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll uh, do Q&A.